There are songs that we sing that are simply statements of biblical truth. So when we sing, our God is an awesome God, that's just stating the truth. When we talk about a mighty fortress is our God, that's just stating the truth. And sometimes we sing what I would call aspirational songs. We sing what we want to be the case. And I love that song we just sang. And I want it to be the case that through it all my eyes are on Jesus. Because when my eyes are, then it is well. It is okay. And I have to... I have to ask God when I'm singing a song like that, say, God, make that true of me. Make it true. Make it so that my eyes are on you. This morning we are um, in the book of Proverbs chapter 22, and I want to remind you that I have uh, challenged and encouraged each of you to read a chapter of Proverbs every day this month. Now, some of you might say, oh, I forgot about that. Um, we're only on day five, you know, so it's easy to catch up. In fact, if you say, I'm just not going to catch up, just go ahead and read chapter five today. And then when you get some spare time, you can go back one through four. It's not like a novel where you can't just jump in in chapter four. I mean, you can on the Proverbs, you can jump in in chapter four, chapter five, go forward from there and then catch back up on those first four chapters if you haven't already got there. But I just want to encourage you uh, each day this month, read a chapter all the way until the 30th of the month, and then read two chapters that last day, um, 30 and 31. But we are um, reading as a congregation the book of Proverbs, and then every message this, uh, every Sunday this month is going to be from Proverbs as well. Now, if you uh, are physically able, would you please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2, 8 and 9, and then 22 and 23. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word we thank you for its saving power. We thank you for its power to correct us, to rebuke us, to instruct us, to train us. Lord, we thank you for its wisdom, especially as we're looking at Proverbs this month. And I pray that you would help us to be wise. As your word tells us that we would be uh, innocent as doves, but as clever as serpents. We would not be naive, but we would be innocent. We would not be simpletons, 
but we would seek to remain pure. Father, help us to live with that type of wisdom that we can only live empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When we do a word association, you know, we, you've, you've heard of those before. You say a word, and then, you know, you, you, you match it with other things. And so, uh, you know, it, it, we all have different ideas. Uh, kind of like Becky and the children had a different idea of what a staring game was about this morning. There were two different sets of rules, apparently. Uh, we all have our own associations with things. But, uh, you know, if I was to say... Word association for the word poor. What comes to mind? I believe that there's a lot of myths. A lot of things that not just everybody in the world, but even believers have wrong ideas about the poor. And uh, we could probably make a list of 25 of them uh, from Scripture, but today I'm just going to look at three. I want us to talk about three myths about poverty or about the poor. The first myth is that poverty equals insignificance. People come out and they, they think, well, if they're poor, do they really matter? Or even worse, they may say, well, if they're poor, something's wrong with them. Maybe they've done something wrong. Maybe they've, they've brought this on themselves. Maybe they've been cursed in some way. Maybe they're poor because they're lazy. Maybe they're poor uh, because they just don't deserve any better. And those are some common ideas in our society. And we're ba we live in a very materialistic society, a society where you are often judged by the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the house you live in, the circles you run in. And so we have this mistaken idea in our society, and unfortunately, also in many churches, there's this idea that if you're poor, you don't really matter. There's an insignificance there. But the reality is that net worth is not equal to true worth. There is a big difference between the bottom line financially and the rock-bottom truth about who a person is. And God in his word makes this clear so many times. He says here in verse 2, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. You know, he says, when we look at rich and we look at poor, we see all the differences. God is looking at rich and poor and saying, what differences? I made them all. He's valuable. She's valuable. It doesn't matter. Lower income, middle income. In God's eyes, the poorest person, homeless person on Skid Row, and the Elon Musks and Bill Gates of this world, there is no difference in their value. God has made each and every single one of us, as the psalmist said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And our value has nothing to do with currency. It has nothing to do with stuff. 
It has nothing to do with how we dress, what we have, what's in our bank accounts. And over and over again, God got so upset with the people who didn't understand this. And, and he had to talk about it over and over again. Remember when we did that, that Wednesday night series, those of you who caught it, whether in person or on video, we, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. And one of those things in the very beginning, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus looked at the woman who had one last little bit, a coin less than a penny's worth, and said she has given greater than all. He gives scathing warnings in Scripture, in fact, to rich. And there's not ever a Bible verse where Jesus or anyone else said, blessed are those with a big pocketbook. Blessed are those with great number of accounts. Blessed are those who have fluid assets that they can, liquid assets that they can, you know, do stuff with. And in fact, the book of James the half-brother of Jesus, he shares some of his greatest rebukes for those in the early church who were bringing that worldly mindset in. And they were saying to the rich folks, oh, here's a nice place for you. We'll lead you to right to the front. Or in reality, most churches, we'll let you have the back pew. It's that prize pew. We'll let you sit where you want to sit, you know. Um, and on the other hand, they said, oh, poor folk, just get on the floor wherever, you know. And James gave scathing rebuke to those who would differentiate based on wealth. You know, the amazing thing, when we, we, don't, we miss this when we read the New Testament. And there are rich people who are in the early church. And there are slaves in the early church. And do you know that you never see one bit of difference about how they are treated by God or any of the apostles? That they all call everyone together as brothers and sisters in Christ. In this body, in this family, wealth or lack of it means nothing. So you and I, we've got to get out of our heads that worldly thinking, that materialistic thinking, and especially in the Western world, especially in wealthy nations like America, we get into that trap of categorizing people based on their net worth. But net worth is not true worth. The second myth that has to do with the poor is that giving to the poor is a waste. How many times have we heard that, this? Oh, you can't help them all? Well, you know, if you give to them, they'll probably just go and use it on some booze. You know, they've made bad decisions before. That's how they got here. So, you know, can I really help them at all? Well, you know, I would love to help them, but I can't help this other person. Gosh, that'd be unfair. So I'm just not going to help anybody. And on and on the excuses go. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't use wisdom in how we give. Yes, we should. But if your wisdom and your discernment, if that results in you never giving anybody to anything, you're not wise, you're just cheap. Okay? So if your wisdom makes you sometimes do one thing and sometimes do another thing, yeah, maybe you've got wisdom and discernment. 
But if you're always, well, I'm not, if your number one priority in life is that you will never, ever, ever be taken advantage of or that you'll never be got by anyone, you'll never be taken by anyone, if that is your number one priority over loving people as God loves them and helping them, yeah, you may never get taken, but you've never done anything that reflects the heart of God either. You see, helping folks is not a waste. And guess what? When you bless and you help someone, sometimes there is a happy story. Sometimes, wow, they took what you gave them and, and then somehow they kind of gathered themselves up and then they became self-supporting or they got through that tough time and, and boom, that's a wonderful story when you see that and they're grateful. But you know, other times, Maybe they're grateful, but two months later, <laughs> they're asking again. Maybe they're not grateful. Maybe they find out that, that you've, you know, maybe you find out that they pulled the wool over your eyes. Does that mean that you wasted your money? Not according to Scripture. It's very clear here in verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed. For they share their food with the poor. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> they share their food with the poor. I mean, how often have you, have you gone through a line and someone was waiting and you needing something and you decide, I want to help them. So I'm going to get an extra meal in the drive-thru and I'm going to go around and help them out. You know, here he's envisioning you don't have the money with you for two combos. <laughs> you just have the money for one, and you decide to share what you have. That's a level of sacrifice beyond what most folks even think, even those who don't buy into this. Giving to the poor is a waste. But biblically, God says those who bless the poor, they will be blessed those who are generous, those who share. Now, I'm not, don't, don't misunderstand, don't make this into some health and wealth prosperity gospel, you know, that if you split your Big Mac with someone, that next to the, you're gonna get a check in the mail. That's not what God is promising. The whole point is that blessings are beyond just financial things. Go back and look at verse 1. We, almost all of us who've been in church most of our lives have heard this verse, but very few of us have ever connected it to the issue of wealth and poverty before. Look at verse 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Some of us heard Sunday school teachers, our parents, quoting that verse to us growing up, and, and they talked to us about having a good name, having a, having a reputation, and how that's even more important than getting rich, you know, and, but that having, being that person of character and having that integrity and honesty. But, you know, he follows it with the verse about the poor and the rich. They have this in common. Their maker is the Lord. And the emphasis is you can be wealthy without wealth. You can be poor, and yet having that name of integrity, having that character is more valuable. It's better to have character and integrity than billions in the bank in God's economy. And our, 
The, the choice that we must make every day is do I buy into the world's economy and its value system or do I buy into God's economy and his value system? Because you can sink real low in the pursuit of making a buck, of getting rich quick. You can do a lot of bad things in the way of getting wealthy. And he makes it clear here that giving which seems like a waste to some people. Oh, they'll misuse it. Oh, it won't really help them. Oh, they'll be in the same mess next time. Why am I wasting what I have? And God says, it's not a waste at all. The waste is when you make mammon your God. The waste is when you put your bottom line, your finances above my word and my commands. And God says, I'm going to reward generosity. And he awards that in so many ways. The blessings of knowing that you've helped, the blessings of knowing you've been used by God, the peace that comes from trusting God and saying, God, I I might be a little short this month because I helped someone, but I I felt you wanted me to do that. And God, I know you're in control. You're going to take care of me. So the reality is that God rewards generosity. It's not a waste. And the third and final myth I want us to look at today, this myth is no crime equals everything is fine. No crime equals everything is fine. You see, there is this thinking today that as long as I don't break a law, as as long as I don't do something illegal to gain wealth or to put someone else down to get in their way, then it's no big deal. I'm, I'm fine as long as I'm legal. In fact, that's a really, really terrible idea that has to do with a lot of areas. Christians fall in this trap of saying, well, it's legal, so therefore it must be moral. Therefore it must be ethical. Therefore it must be okay, because it's legal. I'm not breaking the law. And we end up doing all kinds of things that are outside of God's will just because they're legal. The reality here, the wisdom in God's word, it tells us, it recognizes things are the, were the same 2,500, 3,000 years ago as it is today. And that is that legal and ethical do not match up perfectly. There, there's areas of overlap, but there's also areas where legal and ethical can be very different. Listen in verse 22 and 23 what the Lord says. Do not exploit the poor. Because they're poor. And then listen especially to this. Do not crush the needy in court. You see what God's saying here? There is a reality that you can do some pretty immoral things and still be legal. You can harm people and hurt people through the legal system or aside from the legal system in a way that the legal system is never going to slap you on the wrist and never going to say you're wrong. And yet it's still immoral and wrong, unjust, and it is against everything God wants. He's like, just because they're poor? Oh, why do people exploit the poor just because they're poor? Because poor often equals powerless in this world. See, I won't mess with so-and-so because I know they can get back at me. I know they can harm me. I know they can take vengeance. I know they've got friends in high places. But, you know, that person, it doesn't matter if I'm rude to them. It doesn't matter if I'm ugly to them. It doesn't matter if I rip them off or take their opportunity. What, it doesn't matter if I'm ugly to them because what can they do to me? That's the mentality that's being reflected in this statement. 
exploiting the poor because they're poor. And then crushing the needy in court. See, again, there's that reality. Just because it's in court, just because it's legal, doesn't mean that everything's ethical. And there are people who crush the life out of the poor through legal means, through lawsuits, through court systems, through manipulating judges and juries. And it happens every single day. And God says, "Uh, don't you forget, there's a higher court. There is a greater judge. There is one who will, you will look at in the last day and you will answer to him. And it says, the Lord Almighty, he will take up their case. He will be their defense lawyer. And you're not going to outslick him. You're not going to trick him. You're, you're not going to get anything over on him. God will be there. And he will take up the case of the poor and of the exploited and of the needy. So just because you can do something, because you can get away with it, because it is not illegal technically, does not mean it is right. And we have to adjust our thinking to say not, oh, will I be breaking the law? I mean, we should not break the law, but as believers, our moral and ethical system should go beyond just am I legal, but am I pleasing to God? What if someone who is poor and down and out, what if they do actually owe you a little money? And legally you deserve it. But in all honesty, you could live without it. And you decide, you know what? I'm tired of them. I'm going to crush them. I'm going to put it on them. I'm going to show them not to ever do that to me again. You know, Jesus told a parable about that. You remember it? The servant who owed his master maybe 10,000 bucks or so, 20,000, 30,000, depending on the conversion rate. And he couldn't pay it, though. And he said, please get me out of this. Please help me. Ah, the king had compassion. The king said, okay, I'll forgive. And the second that he is relieved of his burden, he goes out and finds the guy that owned owes him a couple of hundred bucks, and he grabs him by the throat. (laughs) Pay me now. I can't, I can't. We'll go to the debtor's prison. And the Bible tells us (laughs) that that king was enraged. And the king there is a a clear stand-in. For God, when he looks at us and all that he's forgiven us, and yet we find people who owe us something that is infinitesimally small compared to what we've been forgiven of, and yet we say, pay me now, pay in full, I want it all. And this is not just about money, but it's also about vengeance. It's also about forgiveness. It's also about bitterness. It's also about learning to let go and give grace as God has given grace and mercy to us. These myths are out there. And like I said, it's not just outside the church. It's inside the church, too. Because we let the world get in our minds. We let ourselves buy into the system. And you know what? That's why the churchy folks of Jesus' day looked at him 
And they said, who is this poor, (laughs) this poor, poor laborer from Nazareth? This little nobody, nothing town. They said, what good can come from Nazareth? And they wouldn't even look at him and possibly imagine that he could be who he was. Because all they saw was a poor carpenter. I hope that this morning, out of all these myths, out of all these things, that the the truth that will be awakened most of all in our hearts is that God loves the poor. That our heart toward them should be what his heart is. And that if we have downgraded, downplayed, wrong, disregarded people for any reason, because, especially because of what they make instead of who their maker is, that we repent of that thinking. And that we would correct not only that thinking, but the way we treat others. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, it's so easy to get caught up thinking like the world thinks. And I, I pray that you would just take your word. And Lord, as we dive into it, and that I ask that we would dive into it, that we would all desire to know you and your ways. And God, that you just make us more and more like Jesus. As we understand that being wise is not just about learning how to avoid traps, but it's also about learning how to give and how to love and how to share because you gave and you love and you share with us each and every day. Help us to treat everyone as precious in your sight. God, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.